0: It was a cooking class it was like instead of it being aa or alcohol anonymous it was vegetables anonymous it was like let's talk about lentils and how you cook them and let's taste them and oh my god that dal's quite nice and let's talk about snacking and let's talk about you know how you cook noodles and you know it was this type of thing we put on videos of doctors and uh, we did this for four weeks and we came back on the last night and me and dave were kind of a little bit nervous because we kind of promised the sun the stars and the moon that this is definitely gonna work of course it is your cholesterol is going to come flying down, your blood pressure is going to regulate, you're going to lose weight. Like this is just, this is the, the you know, the silver bullet that you've all been looking for. But inside we are kind of like, Ooh, I hope this works. Like I really hope this works. Like I kind of feel like if this doesn't work, I don't know what we're going to do. But um, there was an average drop of cholesterol of 20, over 20% and uh, people's blood pressure regulated down to kind of a safe range. And most people lost weight. So it was, the results were incredible. And, um, I guess from that we've kind of it's kind of gone on in many many different ways, but that was kind of the start of us kind of moving into actual, you know, kind of transformation, if you will, and showing people using science, simple scientific measures just to show how you can literally through lifestyle improve your health. That
1: is Stephen Lin, one half of the Happy Pair, and new legends are listening to the Epic Table podcast. How good would it be to have an Irish accent? I just, I think this thing is awesome. So today, guys, we have the pleasure of sitting down with Steve Lin, one half of the happy pair, a pair, set of identical twins, who are just absolutely charismatic, energetic, and just full of life. I've known these two for some time, uh, watching them across YouTube, uh, seeing their social platform, and what they do, particularly in this space, because they're in a very similar field, in really having a movement towards helping people eat more plants, which is exactly what we love. What started out as a fruit shop in 2004 has transpired into retail products, a greater restaurant scene, and also an online course and social platform, which has just gone gangbusters as long as, and also being an author of, you know, four to five books plus. So these two guys are so genuine. They're very active in their community to the point where they won't admit it. But I'm sure a big part of the reason of the surge of health and wellness in their town is because of these two guys. And that's an example of what you can do by being persistent and consistently putting out things that you truly believe and that's true to your heart. Why I love today's discussion is on a personal and selfish note, they also have a restaurant concept with a digital platform to their brand. The happy pair is uh, you know it's a solid business. And so for me, having a restaurant myself with Charlie Street and also my online platform with my socials and whatnot, it can be a challenge as we all know. So to be able to kind of go between both of them and use them efficiently side by side as opposed to working one then the other is what always the common goal is. And these two guys have done it extremely well. They now have 100 employees working across that whole platform. Uh, and it's just really inspiring to listen to. I hope from today you learn, not necessarily to build a business both uh, with four walls and or an online course, but more so to get an understanding of what it takes to really be persistent in a place of genuity for your health and wellness. I really, really got inspired listening to Swimrise, which you'll hear about in a second, how it catalyzed their understanding of using social platform for good, uh, and building the community, which have done so well, both on the back of their four-wall business and online. Before we get into today's podcast, love to talk about the fact that just like Steve and Dave, who began their journey as a fruit and veg purveyors, I'm here to help you guys eat more plants. And whether they be subscribing to my newsletter, which provides you with recipes and tips and nutritional information on all those recipes and other ingredients weekly, or by helping you guys just get that one scoop of athletic greens every single day, which will give you the 75 micronutrients, the wonderful prebiotics, the probiotics, and the digestive enzymes. It's pretty funny hearing the likes of many people who have said that this is what's changed their life energetically, also help them sleep better. Ultimately guys, it's just the nutritional insurance that I love. So I still eat a lot of plants, and I ensure that by having this one scoop, I'm looking after that. On some days when I know my immune system, particularly after traveling, may be a little heightened, I double my dose, but that's just me personally. So if you want to also get the 75 micronutrients, the prebiotics, the probiotics, and the digestive enzymes, head to athleticgreens.com forward slash epic, where you can, if you use that link today, get my free vitamin D3 plus K2 droplet, which is amazing for Amazing benefits on the immune system, bone health, obviously activation of the site for the osteoclasts and osteoblasts. We'll get into that later. And also the five free travel packs, which come in a lot of handy goodness, particularly now that we're all traveling again as well. So again, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash epic where you can receive your free five travel packs along with your vitamin D3 plus K2 for a year for free as well with your monthly subscription, which is honestly for 75 vegetables and fruits and root vegetables much cheaper than the cost of a cup of coffee every single day. I'll take that one. to that team, if you wish, definitely head to danchurchill.com. Click the link to my healthy kitchen secrets, and we can be receiving plenty of recipes, including ingredients, nutritional information, healthy tips every single week from my team at the Epic Table. So, danchosha.com, click the link to the Healthy Kitchen Secrets, and we've got you there. With this being said, it is time to hear the Irish accent of himself, Stephen Lynn. Welcome to the Epic Table Podcast, my man. Steve, my man, one half of the awesome happy pair. Welcome to the Epic Table Podcast. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Tam. Dude, I was uh, i was just asking you, it's like, um, how do you want to be called? And what, what was your response?
0: I think being an identical twin, like half my life, I've been called Dave, or been called which one are you, or been called Flynn twin. So anything really matters. <laughs> just, like, it really doesn't matter. I have very little attachment to a name. Oh,
1: dude, we made my job a lot easier just by having yeah. one of you. At least I know I'm talking to. And you could honestly, right now, you could be actually still being Dave, and I wouldn't even know about it. Oh, so course. Done was, that, We've but, done the likes of that lots of times. So yeah, I can imagine. Like even during up in school, did, who was the better student? Who who was the best student? Were you both the same? We well, depended. Generally, me. But yeah, probably me. Yeah. Okay, so if anyone got in trouble, it was always it, it was it always
0: close be. enough. It, it was close. Like it wasn't like miles ahead. so We kind of you know. <laughs>
1: Uh, how good to be your brother i love it it's uh unbelievable especially when you can just kind of blame everyone on the other one
0: (laughs) being being, being a twin is extra special in a way at least our relationship has been um you know you kind of really it's like like being a brother but you look the same and you kind of spend most of your life together literally we shared a wardrobe till we were 30 so It's
1: actually interesting you say that. Now it's like you've built a business together, like your life, like your everything. You guys is together, and I was trying to—I was actually trying to think. There's definitely some successful people with identical twins, but I was really trying to think in the space who have a like a restaurant, products, online business, you know, books. Everything is intertwined, and you guys just. I'm sure there's times when you guys are butting heads, but there's just, there, there's just so much joy and elation and synchronicity to you too. And even as identical Twins, you would think there'd be some diversity there. Um, but, like, I, I'm very curious. It's like there's – there like, I've got two brothers, man. And some, growing up, I want to crush them. Now they're, like, some of my best friends. So, like, did you have that same trajectory as well?
0: Oh yeah, when we were little we used to tear tear lumps out of each other. But then then whatever. I think we kinda hit like a certain point where we realized like it was just futile. Like you'd have a go at each other and you'd both be way worse. Like there was no there was no winner. So we kinda realized there's no real point in these fights anymore. And we kinda learned how to discuss our differences and I don't know, we kinda we've kind of really navigated how to bring the best. Have that synergy effect, you know, one plus one equals three and how to even have one plus one equals five where you're really bringing the best out of each other and you really appreciate each other. And I guess that's what we, we don't do it every day, but we do most of the time, you know? It's, yeah. You
1: do an awesome job when you're doing your media. Though, I can tell you that much, mate. It's the funny, like the, the, the feedback I get from people and they say, have you heard of these guys? And just, it just, it's, it's awesome. And that brings my point of like how I first discovered you guys when uh, we're both on, on FoodTube, uh, uh, Jamie Oliver's, you know, YouTube amazing network. And I just watched you guys. It was just like, I I, I couldn't tell which part I liked. the fact that you guys are so good at explaining ingredients individually or just the way that you guys come across on camera together. It's, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. You have this such positive life about you that you just like, it's, it's half between a laugh but a smile and then also just learned excitement. So it just, anyway, man, just uh, the, the fact I finally get to chat to you is pretty cool, but you guys have been crushing it and it's been, it's so exciting. You and I um, got reconnected through a friend of ours, Sam, who's been, you know, in Ireland um, and hearing how like, there was another thing, like, he told me firsthand how you really brought him in and like looked after him while he was, you know, on his project. Um, and, and you like, didn't
0: didn't for Vikings Valhalla, you had like a, a screening party? Oh yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. Well, I had Sam's birthday on Sunday, we're having a black tie a black tie event upstairs and that'd be fair so that'd be great yeah we had um one was away so sam is a friend who's in as dan said there you just said there uh, in vikings valhalla and he was one of the lead roles and it was amazing and you know we're all excited and rooting for him and cheering and when it came out it was real like wow sam on the telly how exciting um so then we all kind of decided let's have, let's have a let's have like a, a, a what do you call them a premiere let's have a premiere and so we decided shape had a red carpet with lights. So we put that out the front of the shop, and my son Theo and Izzy put on, that's Dave's daughter put on kind of like like shirts and ties, and they they stood out the front and kind of welcomed people. And They came upstairs, and everyone wore black tie and dresses, and we put on one of Sam's Sam's the first episode of Vikings Valhalla. It was such a laugh! It was such I'm cheer. Sure. You know your mates you see all the time, and everyone dresses up just purely. And Sam wasn't even there, but it was just to celebrate <laughs> Sam, you know the way it was wonderful. it
1: was oh, he showed me the videos and it was just you'd see in his face how elated he was especially like I don't know like going to Ireland in a small remote place in a village and seeing that just that kind of just it really told me who you, who you guys are and the, and the community you have built. And so you see all of this on the digital front, right? You see all the, and you know you are, you and, you and, your brother and I share something similar here. In the sense that we have restaurants, it's the tangible nature of the people that we are, you know, putting out recipes for, but also who can actually come and eat the food and understand the philosophy, and it's kind of like this three hundred and sixty effect, right? But to see you doing that and hearing about it firsthand, it, it, it's just a, it's a really, it gave me the best. Like I already knew you, I thought, but like I really got to know you guys, and it's anyway, man, it's just really cool what you guys have built. So I'm just curious, is like your you're, I'm actually. I want to speak about your, your parents for a second. What and and like what were they like to grow up with? Because they're wonderful. They're they're absolute rock stars. To have, you know, created two amazing twins or twins. said yeah, two you twins. Know. How do I say that? How does that, that work?
0: Yeah, so sure. you're doing perfect. Um, yeah, perfect. Hey, I'm I'm here actually in mom and dad's house, so where I grew up. Um and um, actually they're amazing. They really are. I guess like. It's funny in society how we kind of celebrate individuals, but reality, the individuals are part of a, a collective that supported and nurtured them and allowed them to somewhat be the tip of the spear, which receives some adulation. But the reality is it's it's the support network that allows anyone to shine. So I think, you know, I think you're so correct saying that, you know, what are your parents? Your parents must be really, you know, nice people and they really are, we're blessed. And I, same with brothers. And I guess we're from this small little town, which has been you know, so supportive. Like it wasn't always like, I guess we, we started the happy pair in 2004. Um, so that's 17 years ago. And when we first started, we were kind of, we were strange. We were a little ostracized. We were a little, uh, some like, cause we grew up kind of eating meat and two veg and burgers and chips. And we played kind of semi-pro rugby and went and did degrees and masters in business and did male modeling. And, you know, we were going places, And then went away traveling for a couple of years and came back these kind of hippies with kind of that wore kind of polyester shirts and plaid pants and wore trinkets and painted their fingers, nails. And not only didn't drink alcohol, didn't play rugby, loved lentils, loved doing yoga, swimming in the sea. And we were vegan and we were starting a vegetable shop. So a lot of our old friends and kind of community kind of didn't know what the hell to make of us. So um, yeah, initially it was, it wasn't all sunshine and lollipops, but it's what a fun adventure it is and has been and. We adore
1: it, mate. It is so. It is. It's very cool to hear that early stage because you you were definitely pioneering, particularly in Ireland. Like it's like Guinness and rugby, right? And and potatoes and beef, right? Tell me where I've gone wrong there because I feel like that's that kind of. I'm not saying I'm. I'm saying that like it's like that Brian O'Driscoll and a couple other things, and you're good. (laughs) So like for you to come back and talk about lentils and you know be talk more about health and wellness and a plant variety. Um, you know, like what was that? I would, I'm curious to where that moment was for not just one of you, but two of you, because you both had to have the same, You like that's the thing, like you know it's got to be innate. You've got to do it for the reasons you're truly, like that's truly within you. So the fact that you've got two, two of you who are exactly the same mindset, like, yeah, we can do this, like one it would encourage you, but you both have to be equally aligned. So when did that moment come?
0: I think, like, as you said, so so much of our life has been intertwined. Like, we literally, you know, we went to college. We went to school. used to sit beside each other in school. We used to socialize so much together. And we kind of decided that we'd go away traveling separately. And it was on these journeys that we kind of gave us. And this is back in 2002. So I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have social media accounts. I had a Gmail email address, which I checked maybe once every couple of weeks. So you were very you were very free. Like there was none of this digital shadow following you around. There was none of that. So when I, when I I flew over to Canada and when I was there, I had this, you know, you had this social fluidity. It was like, how do I want to redefine myself beyond the social norms that I've been, you know, that I've, I've grown up in. So I had this opportunity. It was like, do I want to be a hippie? Do I want to be, pretend to be a musician? Do I want to, where do I want to try to reinvent myself and see where I, where I, where I feel a bit more myself, where can I grow, where can I move, and I, I, I kind of, it was through this journey that I found out that I was fascinated, I, I was at Whistler, which is this cool ski resort, I remember watching videos of parties and beautiful people, I thought, whoa, I want to go there, and I went there, and when I was there, I wasn't into parties at all, I was interested, I used to finish work, uh, ironically, I worked up the mountain in a burger bar, and I finished work And I'd come down and I'd just go to the library and I'd I'd read vegetarian cookbooks and I was fascinated with vegetables and I I kind of became friends with other kind of nerds that were interested in vegetables and I remember I used to hitchhike to the nearest town which was maybe a couple hours away or maybe it was an hour away but it could take me three hours to hitchhike there and four hours to hitchhike back and I remember I'd hitchhike down there to get barley and I'd bring the barley back and be going oh my god I cannot wait to try this barley this barley is going to be mind-blowing and I cook it and go it's just like, rise off, oh, no. you know, this type of thing. But it, it, in, in terms of, like, our alignment, I guess we we kind of check in with each other every few months. He, he went to South Africa to be a golf pro, and we just kind of – we were almost on this journey of kind of shedding skin, shedding the skin of what, what – what, where we didn't feel ourselves. And, you know, I kind of – we talked to each other and go, yeah, I've been – uh, I, I'm eating a vegetarian diet, and then I'm eating a vegan diet, and then I'm eating a raw food diet, and now I'm into fasting and cleansing and enemas, and we we really, I guess the goal was I wonder can we reach enlightenment through diet? Uh, obviously we didn't get there, but it, it's been you know it's been, it was quite a journey, and I guess you know it was through that that we felt we had we found for more meaning, more purpose, more integrity. And it was true this we kind of, we wanted to use business as a vehicle for social change because we felt we changed ourselves so much, felt way more happier, content, grounded, felt much more like, I feel like, like I, I'm kind of happy in myself. And it was like, I really want to like go back to Greystones and see if we can try to inspire, inspire the world. Like ironically, it might sound a bit facetious, but I remember calling Dave up, going Dave, Dave, have this great idea. Do you want to heart start like a food revolution? You know, because I, I kind of really, you know, and this is me being kind of slightly ignorant, but it was like, I really felt society, we really needed to kind of change our approach to food and see food as this wonderful opportunity to connect us to the planet and, you know, make us these healthier, happier humans. So I guess that's why we started Happy Pear. And originally we started as a, I wanted to start as a charity because at the time I'd kind of, I'd somewhat been really tapping into this inner socialist, that like, money's bad, man. You know, it was really down this rabbit hole. And it was dad who convinced us that, no, I think you should set it up within, you know, as a, as a limited company so that you're, you know, you're a for-profit <laughs> business and, you know, go from there. And it was like, yeah, okay, great.
1: Dads can but, say yeah. some things uh, so wise. Sometimes. Sometimes they yeah. can say very wise things. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear it. It's exactly, yeah, but... W- Like the happy pair, it's a great name. Which of the brothers came up with that?
0: um Geez, I remember we were kicking around names. We'd wild scallions. We'd all sorts of names that we were kind of kicking around. I remember sitting around with Ewan and Grania for ages, and then, (laughs) then I remember I had a name that I was really kind of I, I was really fixated on, and it kind of really wrapped up in our mission. I remember. Uh, we were down there the day before we opened, it was uh, November 25th, 2004, and and the sign man, came down and he was putting, you know, he was trying to get the letters up on the sign and me and Dave were leaning back all excited like, this is it, Steve, we're going to start a shop, yes! You know, we are so <laughs> excited. And um, your man Deccan, who was the sign man, came down and said, lads, it just won't fit like it. I you're going to have to call it something different. And the name I was going to adamant to call it was Flinners Fruit and Veg for Social Change. Um, which I still love. However, it was you know maybe it wasn't quite as 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 catchy as the Happy Pair, and I guess we called Happy Pair because there's a pair of us and we sold pears and fruit and veg and we were happy. So yeah,
1: very smart, mate. Very smart. You are very happy. If I was a, you are a pair and you were very happy, it makes complete sense. But it's also it typifies you in so many ways. It was really, really incredible. So day one, you open up this fruit and veg shop, mate, two thousand and four. You're definitely feeling probably like the unique brothers in the village. Talk me through what the next two to three years look like and how you completely revolutionized. Uh, maybe I, I, was it, I don't know how long, if it was two, three years in, but like where you really start to saw the change in the community, accept and see that, um, you know, what, you, what, what mission you guys were on was really starting to take impact.
0: Yeah, I think when we started first, we were kind of a bit strange. You know, people really didn't know what to make of us. Uh, Mom and dad's friends had often, you know, you'd hear people whispering, oh, the lads are definitely selling drugs out the back. You know, this type of (laughs) idea. You know, a lot of our friends from the rugby club, or this just really, you know, Flinner's kind of lost his way because our name is Flynn, so people would refer to us as Flinner. So we were kind of, you know, people didn't know what the hell to make of us. And, you know, we weren't drinking alcohol. We weren't socializing the same we used to get up at half four and go into the Dublin fruit market every day. Um, and even it was the lads in the fruit market who kind of go like, I'll give them two months, like fecking hippies, you know, like, it, you know, cause it, maybe you would be familiar with markets or fruit markets, but it, the one in Dublin, it's, it's kind of, it's quite a, you know, it's kind of like a family game. Like your, your dad teaches the son and the son teaches his son. And it's kind of something that you kind of, it's passed down. It's a trade, and it's kind of like real men hanging out in fruit markets. I know it might sound like, like the most manly thing, but uh, trust me, <laughs> Super manly. But it's quite a macho kind of place. And I remember when we'd go in there the first time, the lads would be kind of like giving two months of yuppies because um, we'd <laughs> gone to college and a lot of them didn't. And um, in the early days, because we were getting up at half four in the morning, we didn't necessarily have time to meet women because you weren't going out. And, you know, previously, the way we would have socialized, you would have met women by going out, getting drunk. And that was how you met women. Whereas we kind of realized that in Greystones, there was kind of a lot of au pairs. I don't know if you have them in Australia, but an au pair is like, you know, typically a foreign student who comes over to mind someone's kids. And there was a lot of kind of female au pairs from Spain and France and Germany. And it was like, wow, this is cool. This is it, <laughs> This is exciting. And I remember they used to come into the fruit shop, like into the fruit and veg shop and be like, oh, you're from Spain. Have you seen Dublin Fruit Market? It's amazing. And we go off in a big show. And then they'd say, okay, yeah. And I'd say, do you want to come? And they'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd go, do you want to come tomorrow? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd go, meet at 4.30 a.m. And they go, in the morning? And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was a nice measure of like, could someone just show up spontaneous like that? And after we kept doing, not I shouldn't say kept doing them, but after we'd done it a number of times, the lads in the fruit market kind of started to respect us a lot more. And it kind of, that, that kind of got us accepted and <laughs> that, that dynasty. <laughs> yeah, which was a bit, a bit different. But, but in so terms had- of the... the <laughs> It's it, it just to show your
1: masculinity through, uh, or just so you show you weren't, you know, in that way. <laughs> That's why you had to get a lovely lady to come with you just to, firstly, good on her 4.30 uh, in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, really it loves- is test to test time.
0: Yeah, 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 it was great. No, no, but well, I guess the lads kind of, maybe it was, there, it, it, it's an environment where there really wasn't very many women and when a woman kind of came in, they'd all be falling over to get her, get her flowers or, oh, just try these strawberries, they're beautiful. And it was, I don't know, it was just hilarious to see the softer, gentle, feminine side of these men that typically were these kind of arch-macho type characters, but it was great. But but in terms of the community in Greystones, um, it it wasn't until further into the journey because initially we were kind of not fumbling along, but we were, we didn't measure the business as people would traditionally measure business in terms of its profitability or its, you know, what was its cash flow. We were literally kind of measuring it, you know, and this will sound quite ephemeral, but we kind of measured it by like, what was the atmosphere like and what was as as hippie as this will sound like what's the vibe like so we really weren't terribly responsible as business people we really were trying to do something more than business we wanted to really try to create a kind of an exciting environment where people were curious to eat vegetables and to come together and to meet others and create an open friendly accepting place and um, that would that would create that would nurture this and it was only kind of further into the journey maybe it was six or seven years we used to kind of do uh cooking classes upstairs and they were kind of nice you know they we cooked cook to show people how to cook with lentils or show people how to cook a butternut squash or show people because you, you were all day long at the if you weren't working in the veg shop you were oh you're co- taking asparagus. what were you going to cook that so you were all day long talking about food so you were like it was just your thing and then you go into the kitchen and there'd be someone cooking something other so you were really your knowledge of food was really there and um we used to do these healthy eating classes upstairs but we found out people really didn't change and i remember it was dave had um he was reading a book by dr dean ornish who had proved in clinical it was called i can't remember what it was called but he proved he kind of proved in clinical trials and published a paper called the lifestyle heart trial and he had showed how um in i think maybe it was 85 percent of cases people would reduce would lower their reduce all their incidence of you know kind of cardiovascular disease or all the the markers of it uh, just by changing diet and lifestyle. And Dave thought, wow, I wonder. Like, I know that was in America and that was with a doctor, but I wonder, like, could me and you do it, Steve? And, like, could we do it with people in Greystones? And could we do it, like, above the bed shop? And we thought, great, yeah, let's try it. Let's see if we can, like, measure people's improvement in health. So we went down to the local doctor and um, called around to the nurse. And, Howie Angela, we're the lads in the happy pair. Yeah, yeah we want to reverse heart because we're going to change the world. Yeah. And she said, how much are you going to pay me? And we said, 50 quid. And she said, yes. So we had Angela And then we put posters up around this is back pre-social media so you know you didn't do posts you did posters so we put posters around the town saying you know you know reverse heart disease skinny sexy free um and we 20 places so 20 people signed up and they came along the first night and these people didn't come along because you know they had heart issues they didn't come along because they were pro-vegan or pro-vegetarian they came along because they were bored and they were curious what the hell are those two two hippies doing and um, so Angela measured their cholesterol, their weight, their blood pressure. They came up to us and um, it was a cooking class. It was like, instead of it being AA or Alcohol Anonymous, it was Vegetables Anonymous. It was like, let's talk about lentils and how you cook them and let's taste them. And oh my God, that dial quite nice. And let's talk about snacking. Let's talk about, you know, how you cook noodles. And, you know, it was this type of thing. We put on videos of doctors and uh, we did this for four weeks and we came back on the last night. And me and Dave were kind of a little bit nervous because we kind of promised the sun, the stars, and the moon that this is definitely going to work. Of course it is. Your cholesterol is going to come flying down. Your blood pressure is going to regulate. You're going to lose weight. Like, this is just, this is the, the, you know, the silver bullet that you've all been looking for. But inside, we were kind of like, I hope this works. Like, I really (laughs) hope this works. Like, I kind of feel like if this doesn't work, I don't know what we're going to do. But um, there was an average drop of cholesterol of 20, over 20%. People's blood pressure regulated down to kind of a safe range. And most people lost weight. So it was the results were incredible. And um, I guess from that, we've kind of it's kind of gone on in many, many different ways. But that was kind of the start of us kind of moving into actual, you know, kind of transformation, if you will, and showing people using science, simple scientific measures just to show how you can literally through lifestyle improve your health.
1: Yeah, but this is what's fascinating, mate. It's like the, the, I love that. I love how you actually showed the scientific transition between it, but you and I know very well firsthand the It's very hard to show science in an exciting, happy way and get people bought into that. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how you took that and flipped it in a way that was still as inviting and enticing because. Yeah. You know, like I, I found that there's, there's a niche market that's really willing to listen to um, the likes of – like we have an amazing community listening in right to the Epic Table. They love they love hearing about exactly what, you know, you and Dave talk about. They love hearing what we bring in here with becomes nutrition, gut health, sleep, anything that's going to really optimize the performance and enlightenment, as you talked about earlier. But outside of that, you've got people come into the veg store. They're like – they're here to get their vegetables or they're here to pick up some other stuff. And not everyone's there to learn more about it. So, but you guys have debunked that. You've actually you've actually consisted and persisted. And I, I think that's that's what's exciting about this. So after that first trial, did you just repeat that or did you find another way to take that and blow it up?
0: Yeah, we start like I guess we I think the next course we ran, we had the two national newspapers in Ireland. So this is back when newspapers had great social clout. Uh, they came along and that was the Irish Times and the Irish Independent. And they both did kind of big articles. One of them was like a two-page spread and the health supplement. So it was a huge deal. And it showed the results. So after that, suddenly we had like an inundate. we were inundated with people wanting to do this course. And we were still getting up at half four. One of us was going to the fruit market. The other one was cooking in the kitchen. So it was kind of like... Pfft, I don't want to do these all the time. Like they're fun and they're great, but like, I I don't want a job. Like I I want to kind of do stuff that I love and you can probably relate to that. You know, if you do anything too much, you can become a bit mundane. And I guess the nature of me and Dave, we can be a bit, a little bit ADHD and leaning towards that way that we tend to, well, what's next? Great. Let's go pursue that. So we didn't want to necessarily box ourselves into something that was too fine. So, or too, too confined. Um, so we, we did kind of classroom courses and we'd do them. Sometimes you'd have 50 people. Sometimes you'd have 100 people. Sometimes you'd do bigger ones where you might get 150 people at them. <clears throat> and you'd have like four or five nurses and they were great. Uh, and then, then we kind of had the idea, I think it was Dave's, um, Dave's wife, Janet, kind of came up with the idea. Well, Why don't you build one online? And we thought, great, sure, they'll probably that's a great idea. You know, and this is back when people were still nervous putting their credit card details into, into the internet. And we kind of thought, oh, this will probably take, you know, it might cost us three or four grand and it might take it'll take a few weeks to build a website so sure, that's all it is but it ended up taking the good of a year and it took you know into, well into six figures so it was well over 100 grand and um, and we thought pretty much like this is it this is like we're gonna we turn this on and this is just gonna change the world and um, but we realized and we kind of thought well like we really do want to change the world we're not going to charge anyone anything for this like this is let, let's try charging it for free and we found when people did it for free no one did it. No one completed it. No one valued it. Then we charged people 50 quid. Some would do it, but most wouldn't. So then we realized you got to charge people around 100 quid. And then they actually commit to it. They've actually invested in it. So they're actually going to look to reap rewards and actually going to value it. So I guess it started out with that. We built our Happy Heart course online. And to date, we've been doing it now for that one, probably for about seven, eight, could be the guts of 10 years now. But we kind of partner with a lot of different kind of medical professionals from cardiologists, gastroenterologists, dieticians, bariatric GPs, all sorts of different things. And we've, we've about seven or eight different online courses and they get amazing results. We've had kind of 65, 70, maybe 80, I guess pushing 100,000 people through them now. So it's amazing and it's wonderful. And it's really, it kind of really reminds us the simple things of like what you eat, how you sleep, your relationship to stress, your community around you. Hey, these are the pillars of health. And if you can get these right, you can address so many of these lifestyle conditions.
1: Man, I love that. I, I also love the excitement you get with you like me, shining gold coin. Oh, what's next? Oh, this, is, this is gonna be it. This is gonna like this gonna really defy what I've always wanted to do and really take it to a next level. And then you got people looking over your teams looking at you going, oh, not again. Like guys, you don't get it. This is the thing. This is what's gonna be. <laughs> you, might <laughs> you, help. To
0: pop- you might help. <clears throat>
1: <laughs> yeah exactly oh that's incredible that is so cool and so yeah you this is where you like you've gone from having a, a shop to then learning an online business selling courses which is you know you've done for some time now which is incredible and you've got some amazing courses online by the way so i'll make sure i put those in the show notes for everyone to check out the the next one though is like social media and being in front of a camera because you, you two do this extremely well you know you, you like if the listeners have not already heard you guys before I'll watch you guys and i'm going to put some of my favorite youtube links of you guys in the in the description down below um i remember just sometimes you have the best like banter between each other but it's so lovely it's so nice but you also do a really good job of describing ingredients so clearly you've owned and lived in a fruit shop for some time uh but how did that kind of come about did did you throughout the course of you know having the fruit shop and social media starting was now you go know, to like dave hey, hey dave we should probably start a social media platform and this will blow up and then we'll change the world or like that as well
0: yeah i don't know it's like it's funny like how uh, one could look back and you can see social media as this huge thing but it's always just been This little thing that you just did and you played with and you know just kind of did its thing, you know the way. Like I remember it was a friend, Dunny, Dunico too. I remember he set us up in a Facebook account like back when Facebook had just come out, and I was like, "What are you at, Dunny?" And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that really into it. I I didn't really get it. And it was only when we were we were asked to make juices and smoothies at this this technology event called the Web Summit, and they were running they were running a a kind of a, a kind of vip area of it being called founders and this was being run in a place called the mansion house and i remember like we were still driving the van and still working in the kitchen and going to the, the market every day and i remember wow we're being invited to the mansion house dave i, I can't wait i wonder who's there and like you know we, we kind of rock up in our little van and we were making juices and smoothies and we we're making them for all these kind of technology people and you know we'd kind of make juices and smoothies and then during the break we'd go in and listen to the talks And then we come back and make more juice and smoothies and have the chats and have the bit of crack, crack meaning fun. And um, we realized that kind of I didn't know any of these people, but it was only afterwards that I realized like there was some fella called Jack Dorsey that founded this thing called Twitter. (laughs) Some fella called Reed that founded this thing called Netflix and some fella called Nikolai that found this thing called Skype. I didn't know what Skype was, didn't know what Twitter was, didn't know what Netflix was. This is like back again, like 10, 12 years ago. And I remember after that, kind of going to Dave. Geez, we really must get smartphones and like see see if we can get that Twitter thing going. See if you can work what a Twitter is. And I remember Dave went and got a smartphones, and we came back and and we kind of got set up on Twitter. And we kind of at the time um, we not together had kids, but we, we had children not together separately, but we had young kids. And anyone who has young kids know they typically often wake in the middle of the night, and you kind of often you're kind of you put them in a buggy and you resort to that and just go walk well, them go to sleep go to sleep and we go down we live quite close to the sea so we could down to the sea and sometimes you'd be there at sunrise and i'd take a picture and i'd put it up on twitter because i worked out how the hell to do a tweet and people would engage with it because it was like a new day dawn hope creativity and we put it up and we kind of got in the habit then that me and david go down you know a few times a week and we'd have the chats and we'd take a little picture and we'd go for a swim some days and we wouldn't other days and i remember i was down one september again this is about eight years ago and it was kind of a manky day but it was this glorious sunrise and i remember i was at the edge of the cove and i walked up the steps and i kind of just leant over and i took me picture it was like great put it up on twitter great did me little thing had a bit of fun and there was this fella in swimming and Dave kind of turned to me and went, geez, look at your man, mad lad. Like, cause it was, it was cold and it was windy and it was kind of just miserable. And then he got up and he kind of stood there and he was wearing like a, a tight little pair of budgie smugglers. And, um, you know, he kind of stood there on the rock and kind of went, you're getting in lads. And as I said, we went to an all boys school and we were kind of, you know, very susceptible to macho challenges you know, we were quite stupid in that way. So it was like, yeah, of course we're getting in. <laughs> and going, oh, I don't want to get in. No, I was really crying like a little baby. But um, then I talked off and then I went, and we went for a little dip and came out. and We kind of chatted a little more and he introduced himself as Neil. And he said, how oh, are you, Neil? And had the chats. And then as he was leaving, he kind of turned around and again, kind of, you know, in my head, this is what happened. But it wasn't really what happened. He banged his chest and he went, see us tomorrow jumps. And we kind of went, yeah, it uh, wasn't. Really uh, so, uh, we said, yeah. So then the next day I came down and, and we met him at sunrise again. And sunrise at the time was around seven o'clock. So it was a, quite a social, like it wasn't 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. It was was a reasonably sociable hour. So I met him the next day and then a friend, Caroline Barrington, was on the beach and she joined us. And then the next day there was this other fella who was 18 and had just come from back from Thailand and he was kind of jet lagged. He came and joined us. And then the next day I brought tea and it was kind of like something was happening and we weren't driving it. It was just unfolding and unraveling. And we just, we kind of kept showing up and tea gave us an excuse to stand around and chat for longer. And there was like, they weren't the people that you normally would have hung out with, but it just, there was something really special about it. And we kind of, we didn't know if we would do it for a week, for a month, how long, but we used to joke when, when say, you know, we never saw ourselves as some of those kind of eccentric people that swim in the sea every day. We're not one of those kind of like, you know, polar bear folk. No, no, we're not them. But we, we kind of, October would come and we kind of go, I guess we paid our membership for October. we joke because we went for a swim on the 1st of October. So we might as well keep going. And we just kept going and kept going. And I guess we used to put little things up on social media. Like I think at the time I was using Snapchat. And I guess Snapchat had moved from Twitter being this kind of, you know you could like and retweet snapchat was quite instant it was quite like does anyone want to meet me for lunch and someone would actually show up it was quite it it kind of brought it more into where the digital and the analog or maybe the virtual and the reality kind of blended closer together and i used to kind of use snapchat lots and i'd kind of put little videos of us swimming and regularly you get messages people saying wow it looks gorgeous can i come join you And, you know, you knew they were sending messages from their bed and it's amazing how Ireland can look warm and can look really beautiful in a two dimensional screen. And the reality was, it was cold, it was windy, the water was freezing, but it was such fun. And we, we, we had this really special group that was just, was really lovely. It was real visceral and real and raw and friendly and beautiful. It was something that was special was happening. And I remember I kind of got enough of these messages. And this was the following summer, I remember, I kind of just had enough and I, I took my phone and I kind of went to Snapchat, right, it was a Tuesday morning, I said, right, we're all going swimming, you're all invited, we we'll are meet at the Happy Pair at 4.30am, because sunrise was at 450 so that's in the morning. Um, and I said, uh, and this was the big, the big thing that was going to draw loads of people, it's going to be free porridge and tea, woohoo! And uh, Siobhan, who was a friend who was working with us at the time, she said, why don't you like put it up on other platforms? Like, why don't we put it up on Facebook and Instagram and like, here's a good name. Why don't we call it swim rise? Cause we're swimming at sunrise. And that was like, Oh, that's very clever. Yeah. Good one. Good on you. Siobhan. Great. So we put that up and I met Dave at kind of 4am. Cause we said we we're going to make porridge and tea. Um, so we made, you know, I, I think we made a, a rather large pot of porridge cause just, we didn't have a smaller pot, you know, commercial kitchens. You don't have a little pot and you don't have a little scoop. You don't have a little scoop. It's as easy to cook five kilos of porridge as it is 500 mil so um we cooked a big pot of porridge and we came out we thought there might be five maybe 10 people There was about 150 people and we all walked down the middle of the road went swimming we made love on the beach at sunrise it was amazing (laughs) it was a joke but it was a wonderful i guess just example of how You know, many of us kind of it's what we all need is the sense of coming together. And it's not for money. It's not for it's just to be part of something like getting up and see a sunrise and have a bit of fun and laugh and have some porridge together. And at eight o'clock, you had gone home and you felt like you had a party. So it was I guess that was the start of um, I I don't know where that was on social media. Yes, I was going to be talking about social media, but I guess that was a blend with where social media gave us that real opportunity to amplify our message and to try to create to try to not just create a digital community but actually use that digital space to kind of amplify a real life physical community too
1: mate it was was such a cool story because you're you're as you just said you you effectively had this you had people show up for something you put out on a post which only reinvigorated you to post more but also for people to show up more and it's one of the best feelings of this is that community activity that we all strive for, and it's so exciting to see. This is how kind of almost the same way taught you to start posting more. And I don't know, I've got a bit of FOMO, not going to lie. I've seen the posts that you guys put out for Swim Rise and the, like, the awesome selfies, that sun coming through, um, wanting to be there. As um, And I'm such a morning person, so like getting up early, it's like my like... It's like the time that I get most of my work done. So, to, to, to I can totally understand. You finish, and you're like by eight o'clock, you've got norepinephrine firing. You've had your bowl of you know, a beautiful porridge. I love the fact you said porridge, not oatmeal. I love oatmeal, but you know, as being being part of Australia and you yourself part of the Commonwealth as well, porridge is how we grew up. But yeah, it's just it's it's so cool, dude, to hear that the story is so genuine on so many levels on so many levels and the swim rising today like is it is it is it once a week now you do it once
0: every yeah, day once we? every day every day, and like I guess pre-covid you did people virtually every day of the week coming from all over the world and it was yeah. just really fun and really vibrant and great crack what we, is what we call it here it was just really <laughs> serendipitous but just kind of it was always changing and even if we were away like the rest of the community would welcome anyone and it was just yeah really wonderful and even like you know now that, like the, it was, i think one of the nicest things about it is that it's there's quite a variety of ages and people from different things so it really like you get have linda and who were in their 70s and you get have down to like hugo's in his early 20s and people from italy and from kazakhstan and from germany and from all over and it's really You know, I I think the beautiful thing about the sense of sea swimming is that no matter who you are and what you do for a living or how much possessions you have, you stand in a pair of togs facing a cold sea in December and you're all the same. You're all afraid. You're all afraid. So it really does bring people together and remind us all how, how small and insignificant we are and how we need to support each other to kind of make this game of life more fun.
1: Yeah, man, I love how you said it Could like, it, weren't, it wasn't the typical, like you wouldn't see your, the people you first did the swim rise with around a table together. Like it, you just wouldn't think oh. you would be hanging out with these people. But as you well, just and said. And
0: also, and also because of that, it felt like so special. It felt so yeah. like, wow, this is happening. This is, this is gas. Like I, I could have hung out with Neil for like two years and I never even chatted about what he did for a living because it didn't matter. You were swimming, you were having the crack. I didn't give a shit what he did for a living. Excuse my language. But, you know, it was, it was just like, you know, we were living. We were in the moment where you felt like little kids. And now I guess we've always kind of gotten the habit of celebrating each other's birthdays. It was just, uh, I think you can relate to being a morning person. You, you kind of have this desire to celebrate life and to mark these little occasions. And we kind of got in the habit of celebrating everyone's birthday or anything. Oh, great. It's a Tuesday and it's the start of the month. Yes, let's have cake. And we'd all get in and you might sing and you might have cake. And, you know, it, it felt like a five-year-old birthday party and you left literally feeling semi-drunk and, you you know, it's 7 a.m. and you're going back to, oh, shit, I got to go do stuff now. You know that way? Yeah, man, 100%. I think the, uh, the, the awesome thing is I know there's people listening
1: today who've got their own swim rides. Like I've got friends who have uh, something called like the 440 Club, which is a running – group in australia that's now i think in uh the u.s too as well and i've got other friends who have either running clubs or swim oceans and all these things that they're doing and it's all built around this principle you're talking about it's this collective uh, start to the day of community where there's no boundaries like just like it takes everyone away and it raises us back to our most simplest stage and i think you know coming to new york this is actually interesting to me because I arrived here. I'm like, oh, sweet, I'm up. Like, I'm up early, so I'm like, I'm up oh. every day. I get up I'm like, okay, what can I go do? And there's like, there's nothing open. There's nothing to do early because you know, New York's probably more of a, a nightlife than it is a morning life. And wow. so, like, some of the best, yeah, some of the best things that we've had as a group is you run the streets without anyone out. And I sound it so sounds so simple, but it, it's actually really cool when you see New York in its in its um, quiet times it's like you have it all to yourself and it starts your day with the, the, the rise of the sun and everything. So, oh, man, I can relate to you. I'm looking forward to being part of Swing Rise. I'm looking forward to coming over and being a part of That's it. going to be – Anytime, John. John. a spare room. You're welcome anytime. Oh, appreciate it, mate. Thank you so much. Um, curious,
0: how many uh, – what's the, what's the population of the village? About 20,000 people. And that's like when we first started the shop, I'm not saying we grew it or any sense of that, but when we first started, it was around 10 or 12,000. So the town has kind of got a lot bigger and it's kind of, the town has really evolved. When we first started, it was quite a small conservative village. And now it's kind of this health and wellness kind of kind of thriving little town. It's, it's wonderful. It's great fun. It's quite alternative. It's quite an alternative hippie little town now.
1: Yeah, like a very straightforward question. Would you you attribute that to you and your brother? Like in all honesty, would you find other people opening up shops and things like that and restaurants after coming to you guys for so long realising this life that you
0: get from being this way? I think it's just happened. We're part of it. You know, the way I wouldn't dream of saying, oh, we did it all. I think, you know, (laughs) it's just happened and we've been a part of it and it's, you know, what a fun adventure, you know, the way it really is. Oh, that's epic, man!
1: So, you have got swim rise. You've now discovered to go from tweet tweeting what you know like yeah, tweeting. Yeah. Wow, I love that. To Snapchat, yeah, yeah, yeah. to Instagram, to Facebook, mate. Have you got? Actually, yeah. have you, I don't. I haven't checked. Have you jumped on TikTok yet?
0: Yeah, I was kind of reticent to get involved with it. Now you know, you know the way. Sometimes maybe you feel full and creatively, you feel full. It was like I'm not jumping on another fecking thing. And then used to be of. You know, and you kind of sometimes you need to kind of actually take a bigger perspective on things and you can kind of understand the relationship of things. And yeah, I kind of started getting onto TikTok only a few months ago, but I, I'm kind of enjoying it. You know, the way that it's maybe you become less attached to something because, say, on these other platforms that you have bigger followers, you followings, you become a bit more precious and a bit more kind of guarded. Whereas in these other ones, you feel a bit more like, Ash, I'm just having a bit of fun and I'm just showing up. You know the way, and okay. and that was the very thing that that kind of got got it kind of going on these other platforms. So I think it's kind of change is good. Change is good.
1: Change is good, mate. Absolutely. And so, and your videos and everything you have, like. talking about the team. What how big's the team
0: that you have for you you yeah, and David so like, per, personally? Well, in terms of the business itself, we pre COVID we had about two hundred people with us. Um, and with COVID, and we had four cafes pre-COVID. We had one in the airport. It was the first vegan, fully compostable packaged um, cafe restaurant in the world. So we were delighted in an airport. So we were chuffed with that. Uh, and then we had one in Dublin, and then we two, we two in Great, or we have two in Graystones. But um, when COVID happened, I guess any sense of overextension really explo- was really exploited. And by overextension, I mean, you know, possibly the business was stretched and it wasn't fully structured and systems and process and procedures and practices and uh, were around it. So I think we kind of quickly realized we had to close a cafe in Clendalk and we closed the cafe in the airport. We kind of had to, unfortunately, um, you know, make a number of people redundant, which is a horrible thing to do. But it's kind of like, you know, when the trees got a, an arm that, isn't terribly healthy. You got to kind of cut it off to save the rest of the tree. So we kind of now have about a team of about a hundred of us. um, And the team is quite varied. Like we've the cafe here in Greystones and that has about 30, 40 people involved in it. Then we've the other cafe is going to open. That's a smaller kind of satellite cafe and that'll maybe have about five people involved in that. And then we've Pearville where we we kind of make our products and we'll, like we have a studio for filming. We'd have an office and warehouse. We'd have make like our pesters, our hummuses, we have a sprout farm. We now have recently just, um, we're working on having a kind of a bigger four-acre regenerative organic farm where we'll grow most of the produce for the cafe and the shop. Um, Yes, I guess there's lots of different bits. And in terms of, so the business, okay, maybe I'll make it a bit simpler because i am going all over the place. But we've three three sections of the business. So we've retail, which are the cafes and shops. There's two cafes and a shop. And there's the bakery. Uh, Then we have production. So we have 60 products in about 1,000 stores. And they're all vegan. And um, there's a great range, like from hummuses and pestas to granolas to sprouts to ready meals to soups to uh, sauces to burgers to vegan sausages. So there's a large range of them. Um, And then we have what we call EME, Education, Media, and Events. So that's the online courses. That's books. That's talks that's kind of events. So that's that's kind of our little gig as mine and Dave's little. We often used to joke it was kind of the Rebel Alliance because, you know, the other businesses required lots of structures and systems and kind of traditional, not traditional, but kind of, you know, professional management practices, if you will. Uh, you know, we learned uh, over time to be a bit more, you know, that it's a business. And if it's within the constraints of capitalism, you should run it professionally and run it responsibly. But then typically in our Rebel Alliance, which is kind of generally in the creative aspect of things, we often joked that it was a Rebel Alliance. If you've ever watched Star Wars, that it was kind of like, you know, we were in the studio, we were kind of like, it was all, you know, ideas and bouncing things around. We were always a bit rough and ready, but yeah, that's an overview <laughs> of the business.
1: Oh, uh, mate, I, I, I applaud you. It's Thank you for breaking down to the three areas. The, uh, the, the retail side, just quickly, with the, with the different SKUs. Do you create all those – do you have a co-packer that does all those or do you create all those products outside of the, the food pla- – uh, the, the, the restaurants well, and cafes? So
0: Pearville is where we'll produce and We produce about a third of the products ourselves and we outsource about two-thirds of them. So originally it started our product part of the business. It was our, our brother Dara. He started with us. When he finished university, he used to – excuse me, he used to wash pots and used to take out the bins and he had the shit jobs. And slowly over the years, Dara has, now Dara actually runs the company, Dara's the CEO, but um, he, he started out with a sprout farm. He was doing triathlons for Ireland at the time, and he was kind of looking for an edge, something that would help him recover more, something that he could train harder. Like, you know, you'll know the holy grail of athletic performance is the ability to recover. So... He could kind have of found out that by having more living foods and more sprouts and energy, kind of just just highly nutritious foods that were easy to assimilate and to absorb, the more of these he could get, the, the easier it was for him to train more and to perform better. So he kind of started discovering sprouts are the key, man. And by sprouts, I don't mean Brussels sprouts; I mean like pea, fava, sunflower, fennel, fenugreek, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he started growing them for uh, the shop here and for the cafe. And he used to grow kind of mung and he'd grow alfalfa and he'd grow some lentil, and he'd grow chickpea and he'd kind of grow kind a range of them. And then over time, another shop got them and then another shop got them. And I think Dara was in about five shops and was like, whoa, the sprout farm is is happening. And then there was an outbreak of of E. coli uh, blamed from fenugreek sprouts in Egypt. So suddenly no one bought sprouts and almost overnight Dara's sprout business was gone. And at the time... I think I'd I come up with a recipe for this sun-dried tomato pesto. And mom used to make six tubs, maybe 12 tubs in a busy week. And we'd sell them on top of the juice bar. And they were in these little small white tubs. And mom would handwrite the labels and she'd put them on top of the pesto. And we used to sell six, maybe 12. And Dara thought, I wonder, like, would people buy pesto instead of sprouts? So he decided, right, he asked mom, mom, will you make a few more and maybe we'll package them a bit differently? So he started doing this. And he found out pesto was a lot easier to sell than sprouts. <laughs> and then he tried. okay, we've been making this granola for ages. Maybe if we make this granola, make it more, would that work? And slowly but surely, it's kind of evolved over 10 years to be the overnight success that it might appear now. Uh, and it was largely down to my brother's perseverance and kind of our ability to just keep playing. And he also, Super is the company that we, it's kind of one of the, the largest supermarkets in Ireland, and we kind of, formed a, a, a monogamous relationship with them as in rather than being in every supermarket we've focused exclusively with them and they've been incredibly supportive and nurturing and it's it's a wonderful partnership that's awesome mate so you've got this retail
1: footprint you've got this you know ability to do all your online courses and you've got me like you got everything now that you've got would you say like how do you divvy up your time and I, i'm interested to hear is like You've got, say, thousands of babies, like realistically, you kind of do, right? So you've got thousands of babies. Some days your babies will scream individually. Sometimes they'll all scream at once. How do you guys make the decision or is it the decision taken out of your hands which one to attend to? Because, you know, running a restaurant during COVID sucked. It was one of the hardest nine months of my life. And I can only like now speaking openly to you, I can you you with your brother, like <clears throat> on one hand we had this social commitments that we love doing and we had all our ability to like, you know, continue on the online platform, particularly that during this period of time was taking off and everyone to receive things through their phone, but no one was going out to restaurants and doing anything like that. We couldn't afford to pay staff. So, you know, they just, they wouldn't come to work. So in order for survive the restaurant, you know, we had to really jump in ourselves again, which is not above us um, and it's not below us. But I'm curious as to that kind of mentality of how you and your brother make those decisions because it's something that I'll always continue to grapple with, (laughs) you know, myself.
0: I think that's the nature of it all, isn't it? Like COVID for us, we we typically would have closed the cafe three days a year. yeah, Three days a year, that was it. It was like days for christmas one day for easter that was it like it was a community business part of it at times you felt like there's a responsibility to be open even though you want sure. to, you want to be closed let's be open so um we closed for three months and it was part of it was hard initially but when we did it it was great it gave us at the time we kind of remodeled inside and we put in a sourdough bakery and it it gave that bit of space. Like I guess we've been open seventeen years. So it gave us that time to kind of just actually let things settle and kind of go, What do we really want? No, no, no. What do you really want? You know, like what like do you really want four cafes or do you just want one and do it beautiful? And like, what like you're only as good as your team. So we I guess it kind of brought us back to our roots that we had overextended we got kind of caught up in the excitement of a growing business and a business that's scaling and possibly you know getting a bit more attention due to kind of books and social media and kind of it kind of stripped everything back where you're kind of kind of going listen we're only as good as our team we're only as good as you know the quality of the food we produce and we're only as good as the quality of the food the food system that we support so really it brought us right back to our roots and it was you know, it was hard, it was difficult, but they're the things that really make you blossom. So like, it, it was shit, it was rotten, there were loads of hard decisions, but at the same time, they made me feel a lot more myself, brought me back to our roots, brought us back to more honest and integral and kind of feeling like, yeah, let's let's build a beautiful team here and let's really nurture and support them and let's, let's do something beautiful as opposed to doing something big. So That's I- our focus went from kind of like back a few years ago we borrowed a million and a half euro we were kind of open we were kind of amped up to open kind of like five six we're going to open loads of shops and we're going to like we're going to really scale and we kind of realised that through this the initial part of it suddenly you were kind of you weren't swimming every day sometimes you had to be on the road early then you would kids like we've three I have three children Dave has two kids um, not together um, and it was only it was only through this that I realized, like, this isn't really, I don't feel happy. I Like, for someone that's meant to be representing health and happiness, I don't feel that, like, integral at the moment. So I think COVID g- gave a great opportunity to kind of pause and to reflect and to kind of go, hold on a minute, I think we can do this better. I think we can, you know, bring things back to its roots and make it more beautiful again. So, yeah, it, it's been hard, but it's also been wonderful.
1: Yeah, it definitely gave a matter of perspective to many people. Just to take a step back, it was a four-step back. I keep saying it was, it was the best thing to happen to sleep companies because people actually finally had time to concentrate on their sleep during COVID. So, um, which is obviously is you know so imperative to everything that we do. Absolutely, um, mate. This is this is exceptional. I'm, I'm pumped to get to Ireland. But what's uh what, you got a book coming out June
0: 5th, is it? Yeah, We so I, I guess one of the – a, a ten or tiny little story. Sorry, I know we're um, like No, we've so, got it, plenty of time. You
1: keep chatting. I'm,
0: I'm excited to keep, just keep chatting with you. Okay, so like, say one of the things that did kind of give a bit of a, a, a leap, and again, people will go, "Oh, if I write a book, that'll give me a huge jump." But the book really came out of ten years of hard work pre- pre- previous. So it's not the book in itself; it's the work behind the book. But when our book came out, I remember the month before that we were, and that was back. The first book came out about maybe it's about eight years ago. But when I that first,
1: this. I remember yeah, this by the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember when the book came out, we were kind of the month before it, we were kind of struggling. Like it was like, you know, you were just as a business, we were struggling, like say in terms of the cafe, it was, you were just, you were, it was kind of hand to mouth. It was kind of like, fucking hell, this is hard work. Like, you know, is this ever going to, you know, change? And often, you know, so often you can relate to this in terms of the service industry at the moment when you're over, you're overstretched, you're just about to, you're just about to crumble and crash and you phone for help. And as soon as you phone for help, it suddenly dissipates and they arrive going, what are you stressed about? And you're like, oh, fuck off, excuse my language. But, you know, and it's that, that, that analogy that like the darkest hour is just before dawn. And I think it, the, the, this kind of little story of the book really encapsulated that because it was just before the book came out. We were really struggling. It was really hard. And the book came out, and I remember we agreed to do the book with Penguin Ireland, and they'd never done a cookbook before. And, you know, they said if, if you were a chef that had a TV show and was kind of well-known, typically you'd sell 2,000 copies. And they said, and I know you don't have a TV show, lads, and I know it's not a normal cookbook, it's a vegetarian cookbook, but you have a shop, so we're going to print 6,000 of them, and maybe you'll sell them over 10 years, but that's all right. And we thought, well, brilliant. And part of us inside, we're like, mm, but I don't want to let Penguin down, like, this is Penguin. And um, what we thought, they, they, they know what they're doing. So they printed many, the six. How many Instagram followers did you
1: have at the time? Sorry to interrupt. I
0: don't know. I don't even know it was a big thing. Like we it could have been Twitter back then, you know the way. <laughs> yeah. the Instagram account, you know the way, sorry, my, 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 you know, when time things relate, I can't actually remember, <laughs> I must actually look at that. I, I don't know if we were even using Instagram if I'm really honest um but when the book came out they printed six thousand copies and it came out in october no came out in september and i remember i was away in spain and it was just because i we booked a family holiday i didn't mean to be away and i remember calling dave up because i was really afraid like our book is out we, we ended up getting on the cover of like one of the biggest papers and i was like oh my god no this type of thing and dave dave told me some fella just got up and he drove two hours and he wants me to write my name on the book. Like he wants me to write my name on the book. I couldn't get over this. Fascinating. And when, when the book came out, within the first four or five weeks, the 6,000 copies sold. And by Christmas, it was the best-selling cookbook that year. And even the following year, it still outsold Jamie and Nigella and all these kind of much better-known chefs. So it was a real – it came out of nowhere and it was a real – catalyst that provided a quantum leap for the business so it was it, it was really fun and you know for anyone listening who thinks, oh if I write a cookbook that's the short or that's the hack the book came out of 10 years of hard work previous so yeah but anyway yeah man that's huge I'm, I'm curious though when
1: you when you, how did that go down did, did you like approach Penguin or did they approach you
0: and um, we had an agent we had a book agent and they kind of lined us up to sit down with two different publishers and we kind of Sweet. met Penguin we met so, Michael and Patricia from Penguin and it was kind of like sitting down with, I don't know if you're familiar with Roald Dahl, it felt like it was sitting down with Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton, you know, these really kind of, you know, they they spoke really well and they would great, you know, great vocabulary and we kind of sat down and we would afternoon tea and it felt like, oh, these are the friends I'd love to have. Yes, yes, let's do a book, how wonderful, this type of thing. Um, Yeah, yeah. That's
1: gonna it started, mate. It's so good because, like, I feel, I feel when we go to meetings, I put this out. Like, when I sit in a meeting, I'm, I've got very much a business side to what I do. But when I go to a meeting, I don't like, like, I I like being professional, but in my own way. So when I sit there, I'm talking to like the rolled eyes of the world. I just want to be me. So for you guys, I can imagine sitting down there, you and your brother getting away, all this energy. And like, if I'm the publisher, I'm like, I can't not want to hang out with these guys. So even if the book doesn't do well, I just want to hang out with them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't have to worry about either of those things because you get to hang out and you get to sell lots of books. So that was the first book. And I'm curious to know, you hadn't written a book previously. There was no other book you'd Mm. written before. So when when you got the book deal, were you guys like, well, Better, like i guess start writing like did you have anyone you went to do you like you know where, no, kind of, I, I
0: guess wait about maybe did i have 10 years working in the kitchen maybe I had eight to 10 years anyway kind of running the kitchen as head chef of the kitchen so i'd been writing recipes but the recipes could have be for like 100 150 portions or something so was familiar with that aspect of things and mm. familiar with how to cook in bulk but like i had never really cooked at home like i had only cooked in commercial kitchens so like i found it easier and you can relate to this to cook like dinner for 50 people than it was to cook for three people it was like how the hell do i cook in this tiny pot Like, yeah, you know with this good. little wooden spoon yeah. but i guess we kind of there was a lot of trialing i remember dave used to every day pack ingredients get like because we had a shops so you had people regularly coming in you'd ask mary do you mind testing this recipe you'd write up a recipe give me the feedback she'd give you the feedback and you just keep iterating and iterating and iterating and i guess over the years our process is becoming a lot more refined and we <laughs> We've written five cookbooks now five number one cookbooks and the, the, our sixth one is coming out June 6th and it's called The Veg Box. So we've taken the 10 most common veg in Ireland and the UK. They happen to be the 10 most wasted veg. We cook them 10 ways using 10 ingredients or less. So the whole idea of the book is to show how simple cooking with veg can be, how tasty it can be and how you can reduce waste because a third of all, you know, this from in a restaurant, a third of all produce cooked purchased sold is wasted and you know as a society if we want to kind of reduce our impact on climate change we need to address this so the book is all about that
1: dude that is so so refreshing to hear i was so i i I just remember going through airports and even in australia seeing it just like these guys are legends just even look at their smile (laughs) i just can't not i just want to hang out with them the energy is toxic so good um and and mate like with with camera work did it come naturally to you did you guys just naturally get in front of a lens and like was there a moment i'm sure there's moments when the camera's off when you give each other shit like that's just that that's probably just what warms you guys up but like i find it you guys are very good in front of camera
0: yeah i think like anything it's like familiarity or practice like we've been doing a lot of are courses so you're used to talking to audiences and it could have been like it might have been 20 people then it might have been 50 people then it might have been 100 people then it might have been you know a number of hundreds of people so you kind of got familiar talking to kind of larger audiences so so as a result you were kind of you were used to performing maybe not even performing but kind of at least trying to articulate yourself so uh, i think camera although it's different it's a one little thing you kind of felt a bit you got over your kind of your dignity had reduced you weren't so self-conscious you were kind of like listen half the people in this room are going to like me and half aren't and i'm all right with that so here we go you know and i think maybe it was our own community that you kind of get over your own vanity and you kind of realize that it's not everyone's cup of tea but like you know it's easier if i like myself and i kind of i'm honest as to who i am and maybe it's with more maturity but uh, as with anything with more practice you know camera work you become a lot more comfortable
1: dude you've got this amazing story of creating community you've got the cafes, restaurants, bakery the fruit shop you name it products your media st- like I'm, I'm gonna say media empire probably, I, I cringe when people talking about that but you've got that side of business too and, you, and you've got such a beautiful family orientated nature about you I think You, my friend, and your brother are what I define success where it's not about the number in the bank, but you've created a lifestyle that is successful in all facets. And I think it's really, really inspiring, dude. uh, I've always loved watching what you guys do. I love everything that you educate people on. And we'll continue to do, including the next book that comes out early June. So I'm putting everyone in the uh, show notes the link to that one as well. But mate, um, just I'm stoked that we finally got to connect. Looking forward to being in Ireland, hopefully later this year to see Sammy and uh, come in. To, to,
0: yeah, oh, that'd yeah, my,
1: my, my that would be fun. Yeah, come help him out a little bit with the, uh, the the meditation stuff if we get there. But mate, I'm just stoked. But thanks, thanks for your time today, mate. And. Yeah, look forward to your journey continuing and um, you know somehow somehow getting a signed book one day myself and making. to <laughs>
0: well. you to make you, Dan. You're a gentleman. <laughs> you really
1: <quite> so <laughs> yourself, mate. So, where's the best way to? I'm assuming <laughs> which 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 social media platform is just the best way to follow you on now, mate? Which one?
0: I don't know. Whatever you're into, you know the go way. Go
1: go to the Instagram, you're you're happy yeah. Instagram. Like, yeah. <laughs> go to the yeah. happy pair what about uh, and, and, and your website mate give you a little shout out on that one too Which one, what's the best way to connect to the website
0: yeah just the happy pair .ie which is Ireland but uh, yeah Funny. if you
1: go into Google
0: you can find us you know yeah I mean. exactly
1: just Google the happy pair then you'll be fine in all yeah. facets of social and the website well Steve my friend thanks Dan you're wonderful absolute pleasure mate thank you so much for today and uh, yeah pumped for the future